Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. That was Alec Baldwin from the movie Glengarry Glen Ross, and this is James Muir, the author of The Perfect Close, The Secret to Closing Sales, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com, which is also where you can sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. And marketingbookpodcast.com is also where you can send me a message with any comments, suggestions, or recommendations for the show. I love hearing from listeners like you from around the world. I'm also on Twitter. My Twitter handle is marketingbook or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett. I respond to every single message I get from listeners, so please introduce yourself. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome James Muir to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, The Perfect Close, The Secret to Closing Sales. And after the interview, we're going to tell you how you can win a copy of the book from James. So James is a professional sales trainer, speaker, and coach. He's the vice president of business development at a major healthcare consulting firm. He is in the trenches daily with sales reps, educating, coaching, and taking on the challenges of the, of the day. And just a few interesting facts. He is a musician, an organic chemistry buff, and a regular listener to the Marketing Book Podcast. James, <laughs> congratulations on the perfect close and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. It is great to be on. You do your homework. <laughs> Good. So, <laughs> you know, if you're an author and you're listening to this show, you get you get moved up to the front of the line there. So, no, but I'm really so excited to have you on. And of course, at the beginning, the listener heard a little bit of Alec Baldwin. And, you know, if you're familiar with that scene from Glengarry Glen Ross, which he should have won an Oscar for, it was great. And it's become this scene that sort of talks about the old way of selling. Just so the listener understands, your book is not at all <laughs> like Alec Baldwin's scene in that movie. It is just it is. the opposite. It is. It's the antithesis of that. Yeah. So we were going to have some fun with that. But in fact, in, in the beginning of the book, you say, I generally hate sales tricks and manipulative techniques. <laughs> so <laughs> one of many things I could have carved in stone here. But since you're a listener, you may know this. Your book has come up with interviews. It's being mentioned on the podcast by some other authors who have been on the show, Anthony Anarino and Jeb Blunt, both of whom have been on the show twice for their phenomenal sales books. And in their interviews, they mentioned your book and you and recommended the book. And having read it, I'm, you know, they, they are completely on. So congratulations. It really is something else. And I'm not even a full-time sales guy. I mean, I own a business, but I just have this love of sales. And I think maybe I had a secret ambition. You know how some people want to be an astronaut or a rock star. Mine was probably to be a salesperson. <laughs> and as a result, actually, I still go to sales training every week just to, you know, keep my keep my head grounded in the world of sales instead of getting it filled with helium in the marketing world. But the perfect close, I, I, just an excerpt from the beginning, you said, did you know there is a method to closing that is nearly always successful in the 95% range, is zero pressure for you and your client, and involves just 
two questions. It's true. This book outlines the method. Even better, you can learn it in as little as five minutes. So it's true. However, for the listener, you really ought to read the book because the the context is there to understand why those two questions are so important. And we're going to talk about those two questions just a little bit later. But first, James Muir, tell us why did you write this book? Why did I write the book? Well, the, the really short version is, is that most people just aren't comfortable with the way that they ask for the sale. And so the, the net effect is that they don't do anything, right? I, I noticed it first in myself. And then later when I began managing sales teams, I noticed the same thing. And it's especially true for domain experts, for support people, you know, entrepreneurs that are thrust into these sales situations where they don't really see themselves as salespeople. And uh, statistically, 50 to 90% of these sales encounters, and that's all sales encounters, by the way, um, end without any commitment being asked for whatsoever. And, and the real reason for that is, is that just very few people are comfortable with the manipulative closing tactics that have been taught for the past you know, 80 years or so. And so this book is you know, my way of how to teach my own teams how to close in a way that's, like you said, it's simple. It's just two questions, no pressure, 95% effective. Now, what you're not telling, though, is the toil and struggle that went into how you figured this out, because you talk about that in the book, having all these different jobs and promotions and so forth, and you just, you just kept at it and, until you were able to, to come up with this. But let's back up. What is closing? If you would ask me, <laughs> that's like a really important topic to me, is that when, when you get right down to it, most people think that, that, that selling basic or closing is persuasion or manipulation, but really what it really is, is serving. You're really helping the client, right? Helping a client move towards their goal, whatever it is, if it's to acquire something or implement something, it's, it's an act of service. It shouldn't be stressful at all. In fact, it should be easy. And, and the way to think about it is, is when we're taking on you know, something new or something challenging, we'd all love to have a coach that would help us move forward at our own pace. And so the key is just to give a little bit of thought of what helps, you know, would help them get there, right? And then while we don't always know the exact pace that's right for them, that preparation helps us coach them uh, optimally. And so our clients are engaging us because they want us to help them make that positive change. So they're expecting us to be that coach. And if they could do it on their own, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be engaging us at all, right? right? What they want is they want us to guide them through each little commitment that it takes to achieve their goals. So selling is really a lot more than advancing the sale. It's really leadership. And uh, most salespeople, I think, can do a better job of coaching and serving their clients than they are doing today, right? So that's, that's my challenge in the book is let's be a better coach, be a better problem solver, be a better teacher so you can serve your clients better. Mm -hmm. You quoted Neil Rackham, author of Spend Selling. His definition was, like you said, he said, it's a, a close is anything that puts the customer in a position involving some kind of commitment. So why should someone bother to learn your perfect clothes? Well, I would just say that the big reason is because it's so much more effective. <laughs> I mean, it's it's 95% effective and uh, for the most part, you, you can't lose with it. You and, the re and that's a bold thing to say, so maybe I should explain myself right there. Yeah, some is, of the benefits. Well, when we say that it's 95% effective, it doesn't mean you're gonna get the sale 95 t you know, times out of 100. Yeah, let's be clear <laughs> about that. You're, you're very clear about that in the book. 
Yeah, yeah. So what, what makes it perfect really is that if it doesn't actually produce a sale or a contract, it produces what's called an advance. And so you just mentioned Neil Rackham, right? And so for anybody that's not familiar with the term, Neil Rackham used the term as uh, of an advance as progressing the sale forward in a little way. Right. So the perfect close, it either produces an actual close or it moves the cell closer to a decision every time it's used. So that I mean, that's one of a, a few reasons that I think makes it perfect. But you know, that ties back into your question. Right. And we'll get to the advance in just a second. But let me ask you, at one point in the book, you said the maturation of the Internet has forever changed the way that business to business and business to consumer buying process takes place. How so? Well, uh, the big reason is is that they don't need the salesperson anymore for dispensing information, mm-hmm. right? The internet has changed all of that. Within seconds, you can get virtually all the information you need about a product. So that means that the actual process of selling or being engaged with the salesperson needs to be inherently valuable, right? Because they, they're now, now customers are faced with two options. They could just do everything over the internet transactionally and not need a salesperson whatsoever, or they can opt to uh, engage with a salesperson and try to get some value out of the sales process itself. And so that changes the paradigm of, you know, of what selling is now. Instead of us just trying to teach them or disseminate knowledge or information, really what has to happen is we need to make every visit inherently valuable. And probably the primary way to do that is to offer insight, to share something with the customer that they did, weren't expecting. Right, maybe some sort of unexpected value uh, that they get, and there's a number of ways to do that. But the internet has changed that that dynamic because uh, statistically, most customers are probably 60, 70 percent of the way. There's some surveys even show that they're almost 90 percent of the way through the process by the time they decide to finally engage a salesperson. So they're pretty far along in their thinking by the time they they talk to a salesperson. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, you, you use the term the disappearing sales process. Yeah, in fact, several really big consulting firms are predicting that by 2020, you know, close to uh, 85% of salespeople will be losing their jobs because they can they can all be it can all be handled over the internet. They don't necessarily need a salesperson to do most of those functions. So those are more simple sales. The more complex type of B2B sales still uh, will require human beings. But even that, Gartner, for example, expects that just very sophisticated tools that allow people to configure the types of solutions that they want all online without the need of a salesperson are being built. And you, you can already see that very maturely in, in the car market, but there's other types of solutions that are just as far along in that same process. And so as that just continues, you'll need less and less of a salesperson. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, it made me wonder, okay, maybe there's going to be fewer, uh, smaller percentage of salespeople, but the ones who are in sales are going to be doing rather well. It seems like they would be they would be very well paid because they're doing what all this automation and so forth is not able to do. Yes, and I agree with that. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I would just add a little bit to that, which is um, they need to have more than just sales knowledge. They need to have some domain expertise because where where sales experience and domain expertise in whatever area you're selling in, they kind of intersect, right? If they understand the customer's business, then that's what makes the salesperson valuable. So you need to know a whole lot more than just how to sell. You need to know the area that you're, you know, whatever you know, market that you're in, you need to be an expert in that market so you can help the customer through their challenges. And um, that's especially true when the customer doesn't do or doesn't purchase the kind of thing that you sell very often, 
because you'll have a ton more experience than the customer will have. And so you're, you're in a good position there because you precisely because you do it all the time, you're in a very good position to offer insight or knowledge to them about what the pitfalls might be and the best way, you know, what are the best practices for doing the kind of thing that you do. So I want to make sure that the listener understands that your approach is not a get rich quick thing. And you even I want you to tell us how closing techniques are sort of like fad diets. And you did make me howl with laughter when you referenced a specific one called the closing technique called the atomic what would Jesus do bomb close. <laughs> I have a huge library. If you name a book on uh, closing, I have it. And I have a huge library here. Some of them are a book full of 100 different crazy closes. And, and no disrespect, but the truth is they do use a lot. The industry that's the most guilty of this is the, the timeshare business because they know they get one shot with yeah. you. So they're willing to try almost any crazy thing to get you to buy during the period of time that you're with them because it's a one-time only type of thing. Yeah. So I have uh, all of these different, well, someday I'm going to put up a wall of shame and put up all those uh, closes and say, don't do this. And here's why it's manipulative. Right. And so if you turn around and see your bookshelf, is there in fact a book called The Atomic What Would Jesus Do Bomb Close? <laughs> no, but it's in one of them, but it's in one of them. Okay. <laughs> all right. So let's play a clip from... Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, one more time. A, B, C. A, always B, B, C, closing. Always be closing. Always be closing. Okay, so in that clip, Alec Baldwin is saying, always be closing. And in your book, you explain that always be closing is complete hogwash. In fact, you said that asking for the sale over and over again will start to hurt your chances exponentially. Can you can you explain that and, and, and even some of the science behind it? Yeah, well, th thanks to, to Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you know, every salesperson knows the ABCs of selling, which is always be closing. And the tragic truth is it has actually been tested thoroughly in the past and past the first attempt, past the first attempt, there's actually a negative correlation between closing attempts and closing success. That is that the more you attempt to close, the less you'll actually close, right? And in the Huthwaite study, we even know how much less it is. It's 33% less. And um, if you don't know who Huthwaite is, Huthwaite is the consulting firm that Neil Rackham, uh, that's his firm. So his, he's the author of Spin Selling. And one, one of the and his study was the largest study ever done on salespeople. So the, the, the thing is, is there's a gut feeling that most of us have to not badger customers. Well, that gut feeling is telling you to do the right thing because uh, past that first ask, there's actually a negative. The more you ask, the less you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. So, but the, the, there's a problem there. You mentioned earlier that, well, you said sales don't close themselves <laughs> and many salespeople aren't doing any kind of, of techniques. And the, the, you talk about how, you know, people that do use closing techniques, they're often just doing them wrong. They, they don't really know what they're doing. So James, before we go further there, can you talk about what the right mindset and the wrong mindsets are as it relates to uh, sales and closing. Sure. Let me let me tie that into your last comment too. So when you're when you're a manager and you've got a team, you usually when there's a challenge of some kind, you've got two issues. You've either got a skill problem or you've got a will problem. A skill problem would be I don't know how to ask. What's the right way to ask for the sale? And a will problem would be well, I'm not motivated enough to ask, right? That's different. I can't make myself ask. So 
the the key there is that you know, it, of the two, if you can pick as a manager, the one that you want is you want the skill because you can just teach them the right thing to say. But the will problem is is actually a much bigger problem, as evidenced by that statistic I mentioned earlier. Right? They get into a sales situation, and at the end, where a commitment should be asked, just to move the sale forward in some way. But yet, fifty to ninety percent of the time, no commitments, even no attempt is being made. Right? So, it's key that they get their head around if you keep, you know look at why that's happening it's because in most cases they're just not comfortable with it so how do you solve that problem so it, the problem's pretty simple to solve is if you know i mean simplifying greatly here but the will problem we just teach them that sales is serving right that's usually what the challenge is you know you can break it down where they're maybe ashamed to be in sales or they feel like they're pushy or manipulative but when you get right down to it and they start to understand that we're trying to help them accomplish something and that really makes you a coach or a leader most of the challenges around not asking at all that those tend to go away and then of course the skill part is you know it, it's important that the way we ask be in alignment with that person's personality and personal values right so I mean, the truth is some manipulative closes actually work from time to time, but if the salesperson isn't comfortable with it, well then, you know, they don't actually ask at all, right? And so that the, what the perfect close does, on the other hand, is it aligns the commitment process with the sales professional's personal values, and that makes it really easy to ask for commitments. In fact, in most cases, they don't even feel like they're asking for a commitment. Yeah, you talk about intent matters more than technique. Yeah, and that's huge. So, and uh, the psychology around getting your head and your mindset in the right place is that there's a whole bunch of nonverbal communication that happens between people. And it's some interesting science that we cover in the book about why that is. But the short version is that most people are actually quite expert at determining what another person's intentions are. And so, if we don't we don't go into our sales encounter with the right mindset where we're actually trying to be of service, trying to help, then we inadvertently send the wrong message to the customer. And that puts them on their defense, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, uh, oh, this person, go ahead. Oh, James, are you talking about commission breath? Commission breath. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. Yeah. I had a sales rep and uh, he, a client called me up and he says, you know, I don't, I don't ever want to work with this sales rep again. So I'm asking, well, all right, well, why is that? And he goes, I can tell whenever he's with me, he's only in it for himself. He just wants my money. And then he coined this phrase that I will never forget. He said he has commission breath, which is he could detect on this guy that you know, all he was was a paycheck or a, a free meal for this guy. So I think everybody can pick up on that, can't they? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's almost you know that just one word commission breath sort of embodies everything we don't want to be exactly. about a salesperson. <laughs> yeah. So at the heart of the book, I want to ask you to explain these four things. One of them you touched on, but these four things these are like the nexus for me of the big aha of the book. I want you to talk about an advance, a continuation, a sales engagement, and a close. So let's start with what an advance is and how is that different from a continuation? Okay. Well, uh, an advance, uh, the, the acid test of an advance is either action or energy. So when we ask a customer to do something, if it requires some sort of commitment on their part or requires them to exert some sort of energy on, par- on, on their part, then that tells us that they want to play ball with us. In fact, uh, playing ball is a really good analogy. That's how I used to think of it when I was a sales rep is I'm going to throw them the ball. I'm going to ask them to do something. And if they throw the ball back to me, then I know they want to play. 
And a, a really big problem is that, and this relates to the continuation, is that salespeople are doing all these actions, but the customers are never throwing the ball back. And so what's happening is they're allocating their use of their only resource, which is their time, incorrectly. If a customer doesn't want to play with you, then stop banging your head against the wall. Go find a customer that is a better, more ideal prospect for you instead of keeping trying to go after this, you know, this one uh, account that you have that is going nowhere. Right. So, and can you ahead. tell the story of uh, you? You one of the people you were supervising at one point. I think it was when you had a new job. You were doing like a pipeline review, and you looked at like twelve months of activity of what he had been doing, and it was it was nothing but continuations. Yes. So he's saying, oh, I, you know, we did a demo for these guys and then we took them to lunch, you know, and I asked them if they wanted a white paper and they said yes. And literally for a whole year's worth of actions as we were reviewing this guy's pipeline and all of his deals were just like this. So this guy was working really hard, really hard. But none of the stuff that he was doing was actually asking the customer to make any kind of commitment on their part. So once all we did for that particular guy, um, all we had to do was just teach him the difference between a continuation where really the sale isn't over, but it's not really going anywhere, mm-hmm. right? That's a continuation. They had no skin in the game. They hadn't done anything. They hadn't done homework. They hadn't stuck their neck out at all. That's correct. And the important thing here, we're doing two things, is the advance, if we get one, moves the sale forward to closure. But at the same time, it also tells us how to allocate our time as salespeople. Mm-hmm. So when we ask a customer to perform a little work, introduce me to someone. I actually used to have them fill out a survey before I'd come out. Yep. If they're not willing to actually fill out a survey, well, what does that tell me about their engagement right, at this level? So it's a way for us to manage our time and the salespeople. That's the only really resource that we have. So we have to be super scrutinizing about what we're going to allocate our time to. Yeah. Let me just quote from the book. You say, in general, the larger the sacrifice the client is willing to make to continue the process, i.e. energy expended, the better the indicator that they are serious about moving forward and therefore worth our investment of time. It is a litmus test of sorts that we can use to qualify our prospective clients. And of course, I, I read that and I think back in my career about all the times where I wasn't getting anywhere with anybody. And then, of course, it was painful thinking about that, but it was so true. It's so true. And you also say that studies show that the perception of progress with these clients is, is effective at getting them to accelerate their efforts. Can you, can you talk a bit about that? In other words, they feel like they are making progress. Yeah, so um, that's my little commitment to the world of science of, uh, of why in advance work. Neil Rackham coined the term, but no one's ever, to my knowledge, described why it is that advances are so um, effective. Mm-hmm. And uh, the answer to that is two things. It's called commitment, consistency, and endowed progress. Those are the little you know psychology terms. But the one you're talking about is called endowed progress. And just to cover them both real quick, commitment consistency is once they say they're going to do something, there's an increased likelihood that they will continue to do that thing. So getting a small advance makes them more likely to accept the next one and the next one and so on until we get to the end. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that endowed progress, and your marketers that are listening will love this, endowed progress is the feeling that you're close to the end of the process. And so as we continue to get more and more of these little advances, then this feeling of closure, if you want to call it that, continues. And that makes them actually accelerate their efforts. And there's a pretty famous study done with a car wash 
where they tested two different sets of uh, punch tickets, you know, like a frequent uh, buyer card. And one had 10 punches and the other had five. And when they'd go through the car wash, they'd give them one, they'd punch the one and they'd say, come back. And then the other group, they'd give them the one with 10 punches on it, but they would, they would punch five of them, right? Actually, I think they'd punch six of them. So the remaining on both cards was only four more visits. But the people that received the punch card that had six punches out of it were far more likely to come back because they felt closer to getting the free thing than the people that got the five punch. So it's the same principle that we're talking about here. It's just applied to a sale. So as we come up with all these minor ways of advancing this sale and keep it forward, they, they start to get the feeling, hey, this is happening. It's, I'm getting closer to the end. I'm going to get what I want. And that causes them to actually accelerate their efforts. Right, right. And just to quote one other part, you said, the trap I repeatedly see professionals fall into is wasting huge amounts of time on prospective business that will never close because they have misjudged curiosity and interest and sometimes simple politeness as indicators of good sales opportunities. So can you explain the term sales engagement uh, and how, how is that different from the uh, continuance? Yeah, so I, I had to invent a new term because there are all of these little things that represent. So I, my definition is interest without obligation. That's what, that's what sales engagement is. So there is an interest there, but they're not willing to take on any obligation. Mm-hmm. So and, and that's an easy place to get confused, right? If there's an interest there, but they're not willing to do anything to move forward, then we have to, as salespeople, we have to prioritize our time and say, this is a low priority type of an opportunity. Uh, not to say that we want to ignore it, but it might better be better off put into our marketing machine where we can score them up a little higher before you know, we actually engage with them. But I see, just like you said, I see people wasting tons of time hoping really that a person who's just interested is going to become a real prospect. And so they're really investing their time in the wrong place. Yeah. And you say good feelings are not the acid test for an advance. So <laughs> be very careful. Just really illuminating. So let's talk about but another big part of the book, which are the, the three questions every salesperson should be asking themselves throughout the sales process. And the answers to these are difficult, but can you walk them through the three big questions? Yeah. So, um, in fact, as I listen to your show every week, I've often thought that when you're discussing content, you could probably apply these same three magic pre-call questions to developing content. Oh, absolutely. And there's a couple others. There's one line where you said, prospective buyers experience a great deal of concern and trepidation, especially when the product is beyond their own area of expertise. Their ignorance creates risk for them. And I heard that and I just screamed out, marketers, <laughs> create content that deals with the risk and the fear that your prospective customers have. And I would think that would be very helpful for your sales team. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the three questions that you're talking about are first, why should this client see me? What do I want the client to do? And how can I add value on this encounter? Just those three. So it's a very simple model, but let's just apply it to both sales and maybe building content, right? So question one, you know, why should this client see me? Well, that's talking about our value proposition, right? What's, what's the reason that the customer is going to benefit from actually meeting with me? There needs to be inherent value in there. And that also speaks to the, the, to the value proposition of our solution. And then maybe if we're developing content, I would say that it has to, it, it has to do with the value of the piece itself. Why should I read this or why should I watch this, right? Yeah, and you even hinted that you might do a book in the future about value proposition. Is that right? 
That's right. So I'm working on that so that more of a formulaic way where someone – it's the number one thing I see out there. Uh-huh. When I go work with another group, I'll bet it's 80 to 90% of the time what they're really lacking is a tightly defined value proposition. They don't know why people should do business with them and they can't articulate it. And that's just the very foundational core of any messaging that you're going to do. So you, you, it's not like a light – thing that you can ignore that has to be done that's like foundational work that must be done in order to succeed in selling your salespeople it's it affects them in two ways first of all they have to be sold they need to know why that that when they're with a customer that they're helping the customer right and if they don't themselves believe well then they're going to telegraph to the customer that they don't believe unintentionally the other thing is of course if you don't have it defined, it's going to be really hard to articulate it in a conversation with a customer if you don't know what your own value prop is. So it's it's just a very big deal um, that has to be dealt with before you can really be successful in selling in any way is you have to define that. So that's that's why should this client see me? The second one is, you know, what do I want the client to do, right? And that's <laughs> it. Just seems like a question that's not often asked. Yeah, it's it seems. In fact, all three questions are really pretty simple, and I found them really beneficial in lots of different contexts. Uh-huh. So in, in this case, you know, what do I want the client to do? Well, what do you want to happen at the end of this meeting? And my advice in the book is, you know, you need to have an ideal advance, and then maybe a couple of alternatives just in case your ideal one doesn't prove, you know, realistic. Yeah, like what ball can I throw to the client to to test their commitment and to get them further involved? Yeah, bingo. And and again, just kind of going back to the content piece, right? I mean, you could think about that in the in the sense of writing content. You know, well, after after they've watched this video or after they've read this thing, well, what do I want them to do, right? So we're planning it. You know, what, what we want to do after they consumed it. So, um, and that's pretty simple. It's just thinking in advance uh, when we go. And then of course, I we go all the way down to how do you ask for it uh, in the book, right? And and all the planning and the agenda, lots of. I mean, that's why I say these three questions seem to take up a good chunk of the book. <laughs> exactly, what do I want the client to do? It's and it's not say okay, I'm ready to buy. <laughs> Don't expect that, but but have a pretty detailed plan. And we should add that uh, we're going to include a link to your a couple links to your website. But one of them is all these resources you have available, all these worksheets associated with, for instance, just just that one part of, of preparing for the call. Right. So, I mean, they can download all off the site for free. And if they haven't bought the book, then it'll help them work out all their, all their questions and everything. So, and all the models are there too. So thanks for the, thanks for the plug on that. Um, and then of course the last one is, you know, how do I add value on this encounter? And, and I might just throw this out from, a, I think marketing is better than sales in this regard, thinking about how they can make their piece valuable. But salespeople as a whole almost whole, wholly ignore thinking about what the sales experience is like for the customer. They're only thinking about themselves. They're only thinking about what am I going to get when I go and have this meeting. And so it's almost completely ignored by salespeople. But, but how can I add value on this encounter? Like we mentioned earlier, because of the internet, you, we're training the customer what our experience, what their experience is going to be like after the sale when they're with us. You know, how we sell is a free sample of how we solve. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. and so they're they're projecting based on a very narrow sampling of their interaction with us what they think all future interactions are going to be like, and that can either that can either work for you or can work against you. But if we spend a little time thinking about, well, all right, well, what could I do to make this particular visit inherently value uh, invaluable to the customer? Um, then we can make you know we can add what, what I like to call unexpected value uh, to the meeting, right? And that aha that they get when they get a little bit of unexpected value, um, that sends that gives them a very good sample of the experience. And we spent a little time in the book talking about you know how to make a 
you know, how to add some unexpected value instead of just saying it, you know, give you some actual cron- concrete ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go a little bit further that. And if, let's pull on that thread just a little bit more in terms of adding value and having a great sales experience. You said many studies have been done over the years to examine which sales factors are most influential in the buying process. Two of the most noteworthy and extensive come from HR Chally and Corporate Executive Board. They span more than two decades and exceeded 100,000 interviews. They examined many factors, including company and brand, quality of offering, total solution, total value, the salesperson, and price to determine which of these have the most influence in purchase decisions. Both studies agree that far and away, the most influential factor is... Drum roll, please. (laughs) The salesperson. In fact, the salesperson is two to four times more important than any other factor. And you, you, you go on to say that, the, like we talked about earlier, momentum has shifted toward our ability to you know, not provide information that they can get elsewhere, but to deliver insights and, and thought leadership. And you know, buyers weight these values really heavily when selecting a business partner. So what makes a good insight? What, what are examples of things that salespeople can be using in the sales process? Not product information, but but insights. Well, so we spent a little time on that in the book, but uh, the really, really short version is that good insight needs to be three things. It needs to be relevant. And when we say relevant, it needs to be relevant to the person that we're talking to. So what's relevant to you know the CEO may not be relevant to the janitor, we'll say, right? So it needs to be relevant to the, to the audience you're talking to. It needs to be novel, which means it needs to be new for them, right? If you're telling them something they already know, then it's not insightful to them. They already know that. And then the last thing is it needs to be actionable, right? You can't just tell them something and then they say, oh, well, that's like death and taxes. So it's important to keep that in mind. And it's also, again, big implication for content that the marketers should be producing. Relevant, novel, and actionable. And in the challenger customer, they talk about how, you know, don't confuse thought leadership content with, with this type of thing. It needs to be insights that lead back to your solution and things that might challenge you. That's right. And I would argue that it's, a, it's actually challenging to sit down and think through that. But if you, do the, if you do your due diligence and you think through it, you will find the insights that lead back to your solution. And that just gets back to what we said a minute ago, which is you need to have a strong domain expertise in the area that you're selling in addition to just your knowledge about how to sell. Right, right. Okay, so we've tortured the listener enough. Let's go straight to chapter 12 and talk about the perfect close. It's basically two questions. Please, this is not fair, but please walk us through that. Reveal the two questions. Okay, well, here we go. So before I I, I share you one of these models, I'll just kind of restate what we've said before, which is it's important that anytime we go into any interaction that we've got a couple outcomes in mind, right? What do I want the customer to do, right? What do I want to happen? And so you, you really should have an ideal advance. What's the best possible outcome I could hope for? And then you want to have at least a couple of alternative advances just in case the ideal one doesn't prove realistic mm-hmm. okay and so quite a bit of planning goes into what you just said so you, re- you really have to game plan this thing you do you do but uh, a yeah, stitch in time saves nine so I'll, I'll give you the industry-wide if you just kind of lumped all industries together the close ratios for all industries across the board would be somewhere between 25 and 30 percent okay but yet when i was a salesperson my close ratio was somewhere around 80 percent mm-hmm. and so yeah but you're james muir Oh, brother. Well, so the, the real answer to that is I don't refuse to spend time with any prospect that's not going to close, 
right? We already talked about that. And the second is ask in a way that just continually moves the process forward. And eventually you'll have a really big pipeline full of a whole ton of deals that are moving forward, you know, step by step. So if you have an ideal advance and a couple of alternative advances, then it's really simple to ask for the close with zero pressure and a high probability of success. And it takes two questions, but the truth is sometimes you only need one. So here, here's the first question. The first question is, does it make sense to X, right? And X is, would be your ideal advance, okay? So for an example, if I said, you know, hey, Douglas, does it make sense for us to schedule an assessment to see what our best options are? Well, in that example, the assessment is the ideal advance, okay? And there's really only two things I can say to that. They're either going to say yes or they're going to say no, right? And if they say yes, great. You, you just got your ideal advance, you know, with only one question and you're off to the races, right? But if they say no, they're not saying no, I'm not going to buy from you. Yes. So you're on to something really important. And said, if they, if they say no, because we asked them, does it make sense? We didn't ask them to actually do the action. What we did is at, at its core, does it make sense is not a closing question at all. It is a timing question. And that's a really important distinction, right? Is, you know, most people are concerned with, oh, what if they say no? Well, did they say, no, I won't buy? No, because we didn't ask them to buy. Right? If they say, did they say, no, I won't take your course of action? No, because we didn't ask them to take a course, a course of action. Right? We only asked them if it made sense. Right? So at its core, it's just a timing question. So the customer can't reject your course of action. He can only reject the timing of it. Mm-hmm. Right? And so the, but the best part is they can clearly see that's where we're headed. Right? We're telegraphing that if they say yes, well, the next step is going to be for us to schedule the assessment. Right? So we're really only asked about the timing of. So basically, it's a zero pressure and, and no confrontation. So if they say no, there's a second question. And there's a couple, by the way, there's, there's five different variations of this. And we're giving you the sort of the kindergarten version right here, which is d- question one does it make sense to X? And then if they say no, then what you can do is you can just add, say, all right, well. Softening statement. Yeah, a softening <laughs> statement. Right? Okay, okay. I understand. Uh-huh. What do you think is a good next step then? And, and what I can tell you, in tons of ride, hundreds of ride-alongs, what happens in 90% of cases is the client will suggest an advance that's very appropriate for where they're at right then, right? And remember, the best close is the one that paces at the rate the customer is ready for, right? And so by doing this, we're doing that. We're pacing the sale at the rate that the customer is ready for. Uh, in fact, it's when we try to push the client to go faster than they're ready for, that's when it starts to feel like manipulation to them. So, but this they learn a lot slower than salespeople think they do. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, that gets you to around 90% success ratio right there. Just saying, "Hey, does it make sense for us to X if they say no?" All right, well, what do you think is a good next step then? Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, we can upgrade this just a little bit. If we want to we plan a little bit about what what are the logical steps that your customer goes through when they buy your type of product or service? What do they you know, what do they tend to do? And then we can make that one of your suggested advances. So, we call it the suggestion, but you basically say, well, other clients at this stage tend to do X. Does it make sense for us to do X? So all you're really doing is you're seeding their thinking. And this is actually pretty important and very much of service to customers, especially if they don't buy your kind of thing very often, right? Some, some products like the ones that I deal with are bought maybe once in a lifetime. So they just don't have a lot of experience with it. So when we're telling them, you know, other folks at this stage tend to do the X, does it make sense to do that? We're helping them through the process, right? Mm-hmm. And you can use that as a fallback as well. So if they say, you know, does it make sense for us to X? And, and, then, and then Douglas says no, then we can always fall back. We can say, well, you know, other clients at this stage will sometimes do Y. Does it make sense for us to do Y? 
And I just want you to feel how different that feels. You know, it doesn't make sense as opposed to, will you do this? Right. We end up, we end up on emotionally much higher ground, regardless of what their answer is. And there doesn't seem, I mean, you can fall back two or three times if you want to. Right. So if you say no, so, well, sometimes clients also do this other thing. Does it make sense to do that? You know, then, then they may take us up on one of those. I, I wouldn't fall back more than twice or it starts to look a little self-serving, but we can, we can even do the reverse of that. You can add it on. So if we say, hey, does it make sense for us to do X? And you go, yes, absolutely. Well, we can say, okay, well, other clients sometimes also do this too. Do you want to do that? So that, in that way, we're just adding on, right? And, if they, if, if, and there doesn't seem to be any limit to the number of add-ons that you can do. Um, when we're with the client. So the, and, and I've had some amazing experiences where the customer took us to directions we would have never anticipated uh, with that. But here's the key of both of those is both of those help us just throttle to pace the sale at the rate that they're ready to go for. Sometimes it's a little slower, sometimes it's a little faster, but the whole point is we're going to, the best close is the one that is exactly at the rate the client's ready for. And this way lets us do that without being pushy, you know, without being confrontational, right? We're basically just facilitating. Yeah, absolutely tremendous. And I would say ingenious. I'm stealing it <laughs> going forward. I had one guy email me the other day. He goes, James, you saved my marriage. I go, really? And he, yeah, he goes, well, he, he used to say, well, we're going to the movies, Right, so instead he would, he would just say, "Well, doesn't make sense for us to go to the movies," <laughs> and then his wife would say, "No," and then he would just say, "Well, what does make sense?" And then she would suggest what she wanted to do because he made it easy for her. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic. Oh, wow, yeah, that's that's so true. And I've heard some joke about how the biggest issue in in marriage is being able to agree on what you're going to have for dinner or something. Like that. <laughs> So they can't reach some agreement. That's great. That's great. Yes, James, you're working your uh, your magic in ways more than just in the sales world. So Yeah, that was a good day. If readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? You know, it would be that thing I said at the very beginning, which is uh, selling a serving, right? Helping a customer move towards their goal is really an act of service. So it really shouldn't be difficult. It shouldn't be stressful. It should just be easy. And all we're doing is we're help, you know, helping them get to what they want, their goal, at a, you know, at a pace that they're ready for. So we're coaching, right? In that sense, we're not. it's better to think about it as, as us being a coach or being a leader as opposed to us you know, trying to close or us trying to you know, persuade, right? Yeah. I, I might add to that as a good close second that intent matters more than technique, right? And that's just because... If your intention's flawed, the best technique in the world is not going to save you, right? Right, uh, but, uh, right. Conversely, when clients recognize that you're genuinely trying to help them get what they want, well, you could even butcher this technique and say gobbledygook, and the customer will still come back for more, right? That, that, that genuine intent is the most important thing. Yeah, just to put a period at the end of that, at the very end of the book, you said, becoming a better person will make you a better salesperson. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. think Alec Baldwin's character would have ever... Never <laughs> said that. Yeah, so, antithesis. James, what books have inspired your working career? And before you answer, I should say that at the end of your book, you have the most complete list of recommended books to read. Just an well, all-star list. Yeah, I don't. I probably don't read as many books uh, as you do every year, but I do read close to 100 books every year. So there's there's quite a lot that I would you, probably that's put. probably more than I do. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe I'm at 100, but no, maybe a little less. I'm not sure. You're a machine. You're a machine. You, <laughs> I, just, read every- I just publicly read them. That's right. <laughs> well, the one I would put at the top of that list is uh, Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play by Mahan Khalsa. 
Um, in fact, my my book is dedicated to him, and That's I right. I just yeah, I just learned so book. much from him. Yeah. So for for B two B complex sales discovery um, area, you know, it's the high water mark. You will never find a better book than that one. And uh, I might also add in Mac Hannon's book. It's called Consultive Selling. And I think it's in the eighth edition right now, and it's undoubtedly one of the best sales books of all time. Oh, it's wow. just the most fantastic book. Again, he's he's passed away, but he is uh, that is just the most fantastic book. And then we've we've talked a lot about Neil Rackham uh, and spin selling, and so he was really the first one to start putting actual science to selling, right? And so there's some uh, excellent and surprising data in that book that's still relevant right now. So those those are all three great books that have influenced me greatly. Yeah, and we'll make sure to include links to them in your show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. So you're a bookaholic like me. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to seeing come out or read? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The one I'm looking forward to the most right now, I'm really excited about, is Deb Calvert has a book coming out called Stop Selling, Start Leading. And there is a bunch of new data in it that shows how customers actually prefer to be sold to. So um, I have some of that I have some of that data, but I'm excited to get my hands on the full thing. So that's, that's probably the great. one. And I think that just comes out in a few weeks now, but that uh, that one I'm excited about. And of course, Jeb Blunt and Anthony Anarino, who you mentioned earlier, they're both actually working on books right now too. And uh, I'm really a very big fan of theirs, so I can't wait for both of those. Yes, and and they are of you too. So come on, let's let's give credit where credit's due. So how best can listeners learn more about you and the Perfect Close? Well, the best way is to go to um, the website, which is puremure.com. That's P-U-R-E-M-U-I-R. Dot com. Just download some of the resources or sign up for the newsletter. There's a, like you mentioned, there's a ton of resources there. There's keynotes from the sales experts channel, models of all the variations of the perfect close. There's planning forms, sample agendas, mind maps. There's really a lot of stuff there and it's all free. You're certainly welcome to uh, email me directly. It's just james at puremure.com. I answer every email that I get. And of course, I'm happy to connect on LinkedIn and Twitter and even even Facebook if you don't mind looking at my personal stuff. <laughs> and just for James's fellow listeners of the Marketing Book Podcast, he has set up a special landing page on his website that we're going to have a link to, and it's going to include audio of him talking about selling with insights, which is what we talked about in the interview and which I'm particularly keen on learning more about. Yeah, it's uh, it's absolutely uh, one of my better keynotes, I would say. And it's uh, on how to sell with insight, gives the reason it's important, the process they need to follow through, and uh, an example of it actually in action. So you can see a it's a healthcare example of it being put in action. And so if they would enjoy listening to that, well, then they can go to puremure.com forward slash marketing dash book dash podcast. And they just it's just an MP3. They can download the MP3. Okay. Now, before we talk about winning a copy of James's book that we mentioned at the beginning of the show, I want to play something for you that's all about winning prizes as it relates to the sales world. Have a listen. Oh, have I got your attention now? Good. Because we're adding a little something to this month's sales contest. As you all know, first prize is a Cadillac Eldorado. Anybody want to see second prize? Second prize is a set of steak knives. Third prize is you're fired. Okay, so James is not offering a Cadillac Eldorado or steak knives, and, and you're certainly not fired. But James, talk about how folks can reach out to you directly and win a copy of The Perfect Close. Sure. Let's just use Twitter if they would like to send me a direct message uh, or tweet out. Yeah, tweet out. Tweet out so we can all see it. 
Yeah. So uh, B2B underscore sales tips is my Twitter handle and they should copy you on that, tag you on it. And my, my Twitter handle is marketing book. And then we'll send you a copy of the book. Oh, wait, let's include, we got to, we got to throw an advance at these listeners. You know, we got to, we got to make it do a little work. They need to include the hashtag perfect close and your Twitter handle and marketing book. If they'll do that still, we'll take the first five. How's that sound? Sounds good. Sounds good. So the name of the book is The Perfect Close, The Secret to Closing Sales. The author is James Muir. James, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. My pleasure, Doug. Thanks for having me on. And that closes the book on episode 149 of the Marketing Book Podcast. Links to everything linkable in the interview you just listened to are at marketingbookpodcast.com. And that's also where you can sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. And if you have any feedback on or suggestions to improve the show, or perhaps I can make a book recommendation for you, or you want to send me a bottle of single malt scotch, I'd love to hear from you. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and leave me a message or tweet at me. My Twitter handle is marketingbook or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett. And please join us next time for the special 150th episode as we welcome Mark Schaefer back to the Marketing Book Podcast for the fourth time as we talk about his revised and expanded edition of his book, The Tao of Twitter, Changing Your Life and Business One Connection at a Time. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.